Hello, and welcome to the White's Chapel Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen to our weekly sermons. This is a quick way to enjoy or even revisit a recent message. As we make our transition from Thanksgiving into Christmas, as we round the corner from feasting on the delights of our tables to the work of preparing our hearts for the coming of Christ in the season of Advent, we may already have fallen into some of the routines we are used to falling into. One of the routines I have already fallen into is my love for watching Hallmark Christmas movies. Yes, thank you. Anybody else? The first step to recovery is admitting you have a problem. It's all right, you're in a safe space here. I love Hallmark Christmas movies. I guess I've been hanging around Pastor John too much. I love these movies because they are so sweet, saccharine, and syrupy. They're tales that warm our hearts, and they are so predictable (laughs) that they free me from having to do a whole lot of heavy lifting. They free me from having to do any deep thinking about what comes next in the plot of the movie. They follow a very simple pattern if you're not accustomed to Hallmark Christmas movies, and they all end quite predictably. In fact, my wife Joy and I, we like to pause the movies as they go along to see if we can guess what happens next before it happens. They're so predictable and formulaic. And I want to take a moment this morning to see if you share in my love for Hallmark Christmas movies by testing your knowledge and seeing if you can pick out from a choice of three plots which plot is the Hallmark Christmas movie, all right? I'm going to give you three plots. We're going to work together to try to figure out which one is a real Hallmark Christmas movie. Are you ready? Are you ready? Okay, here we go. One, a set of identical twins dissatisfied with their current situations decide to switch lives for the Christmas season, and by doing so, they each learn true meaning of Christmas. Or is it number two? Melanie is assigned her crush Donovan as her office secret Santa. Just as her thoughtful gifts begin to make Donovan fall in love with her, another woman swoops in and tries to take credit for Melanie's gifts. Dun, dun, dun. Or is it number three? A single mother is devastated when her car is stolen on Christmas Eve with a winning lottery ticket inside. And when she suddenly meets a charming man, her luck seems to have changed. Which one is it? This is the part of the audience participation, yeah. How many say one? One? How many say two? Two? Three? If you are a true Hallmark Christmas movie aficionado like myself, you know this is a trick question. They're all three Hallmark Christmas movie plots. Now, I I talk about this to to talk about the routines we fall into this this season leading up to Christmas for good or for ill. Our routines, those traditions or habits we move through like watching movies or going to see Christmas lights or maybe baking a special dish or spending time together as a family on a particular project. All these things can be helpful and healthy for us as we approach this Christmas season. However, If we don't watch out, we can get caught up in the weariness of the routines we have made for ourselves and miss the great life-changing things 
God has in store for us this Christmas. We can go through the motions and we can get everything checked off our to-do lists, all our baking and shopping and gift giving, and we can make it through. And by following our plans, we can have a pretty good little Christmas. But we may miss out on the great thing God has in store for us, much like we see in our scripture for today. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up, or if you have a Bible app, the WC Life app, open it up to the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, verses 5 through 18. Our scripture today tells the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist, and the announcement of the great gift God has in store for them. As we read from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 5 through 18, hear these words. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there lived a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all commandments and regulations of the Lord. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were getting on in years. Once when he was serving as a priest before God and his section was on duty, Zechariah was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary, sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. Now at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people were praying outside. And then there appeared to Zechariah an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink. Even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and with the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go on before him to, make, to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient of the, to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said to the angel, how will I know this is so? For I am an old man. And my wife is getting on in years. Before we dive into this text and really plumb it for the good things it has to teach us, I want to expand a little bit on what these opening lines of Luke tell us about Zechariah and Elizabeth. We know that they were both from priestly families, families from the lineage of Aaron, the head of the the Israelite priesthood who with his brother Moses leads the Israelites out of Egypt. We read about that in the book of Exodus. Zechariah and Elizabeth were both born into families who were literally in the business of the priesthood, meaning that the male members of this family oversaw the worship of God in the temple of Jerusalem. We're told they're righteous, living blamelessly before God according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. Zechariah belongs to the priestly order of Abijah, who are called up 
to perform the duties of worship at the temple in Jerusalem. He leaves Elizabeth behind. While Zechariah is there, the priests cast lots to decide who would do what. And the lot falls on Zechariah to enter the temple alone and offer the incense offering. Zechariah is accomplishing this. He encounters an angel of the Lord, in particular, the angel Gabriel, the very same angel who will later speak to Mary, the mother of Jesus. Zechariah is absolutely terrified, overwhelmed with fear, we're told, as he's going about his business in the temple, the most holy space on earth. This holy man does not expect an encounter with one of God's holy messengers. Gabriel reassures him and comforts him and offers that God has indeed heard his prayers and these prayers have been answered. The prayers of the people for a Messiah, yes, but also the deeply held prayers of Zechariah's heart. That he and Elizabeth, his wife, even in their advanced, advanced age, will welcome a child. Now we might expect that a holy man like Zechariah to immediately accept this great blessing that is being bestowed upon he and his wife. But how does Zechariah respond? He questions. How will I know this is so? He says, for I am an old man and my wife is getting on in years, which good on Zechariah, by the way, he's alone in the temple just with Gabriel and he still refrains from calling his wife old. Good job, Zechariah. Instead of falling to his knees to praise God for this life-changing message, instead of accepting this transformative gift from God, he questions. He lets the busyness of his routine get in the way and misses the transforming, routine, disrupting, miraculous news from God. Zechariah allows his weariness to keep him from rejoicing. There are some lessons here that we can learn. Three things in particular about how we can prepare our hearts, our minds, and our souls this Advent season to avoid letting, like Zechariah, our weariness get in the way of our rejoicing. To avoid finding ourselves on the other side of a good Christmas, having missed the great thing God wants to reveal to us. First, we've got to decide what it is we're waiting on this Advent season what it is we're wanting, excuse me, this Advent season. We'll get to waiting later. This entire season of Christmas is spent in the posture of wanting. It's a season of expectation. Now, I'm sure many of us have already made our Christmas lists or gotten Christmas lists from family members. We may already know what we want this Christmas or what our family members want, and we will spend enormous amounts of our time this season looking for that perfect gift. And there is no shame in that. Please don't hear me say that you shouldn't buy gifts for your family this Christmas, because that's not what I'm saying. But what if, in looking for the good thing, we miss the great thing? I remember one Christmas years ago, when I was around seven years old, all I wanted for Christmas, all I wanted under the tree on the morning of Christmas Day was a leather jacket like the coolest dude I know Arthur Fonzarelli, the Fonz from TV's Happy Days. Anybody remember Happy Days? Okay, good. I'm not aging myself too poorly. That jacket was all I wanted. 
And that year I got a bunch of other presents. I even got my first bicycle. But the only picture of me that Christmas is me wearing my leather Fonzie jacket. And I wore that jacket out. I wore it outside, I wore it inside, I wore it to school, I wore it to church, I wore it to every event I went to that Christmas season. I even wore it to bed for the weeks and months following Christmas. And my Fonzie jacket was good, right? I mean, who wouldn't want to look like the Fonz? But there were so many other great things I completely missed going on around me like enjoying the presence of family and friends that have since passed on, or making indelible memories that would last a lifetime. They all passed me by because all I wanted, all I was focused on was that jacket. And in April or May when the weather warmed up, I mean, let's be honest, we live in Texas. That jacket wasn't necessary. Where did it go? I don't know. I don't have it anymore because if I did, I'd be wearing it and it would look awesome. I don't have that jacket anymore. That jacket was a good gift, but it wasn't the greatest thing I could have ever received. As I think back on that, I wonder if you and I comprehend the great gift we will receive this Christmas from God. Will we lose focus like I did with my Fonzie jacket, fixating ourselves on certain wants or things that fulfill our wish lists and miss seeing that the perfect gift of Jesus Christ is right in front of us? As we prepare for Christmas this Advent season, do we want our hearts a little warmer? Do we want our lives a little better? Do we need, do we want a little Christmas? Or do we need and want a big Christ? Do we want those items that will fill a hole in our closet or our bookshelf? Or do we want those yearnings of our hearts, those prayers we only share with the Lord fulfilled? Those things that will go towards filling the God-shaped hole in our souls. See, Zechariah wanted to do the right thing, the good thing in the sight of God, to worship, to follow God's commandments, to serve and accomplish the tasks before him, all for the glory of God. But he was focused on the good task, the good task of offering incense to the Lord and not ready for the great thing the Lord was about to do. He failed to see the great thing that God had in store for him, the even greater thing God has in store for the world that would accomplish through the son he and Elizabeth have they had prayed so long for. Zechariah and Elizabeth were two righteous people, absolutely. But underneath it all, they're just like you and me. They're two people with a longing, a hole in their hearts and their souls, a wanting that only God can fulfill. So they are people with a God-shaped hole, praying, desiring, and wanting something, something special something life-changing, something great, a child. Maybe our desires, our deep wants this Advent season aren't for a child. Maybe they are. Or maybe they're for the health and wellness of our family. Or maybe they're for a wholeness for those broken places in our lives. 
for healing, for joy, for love, for peace. Whatever those desires are, whatever our wants are, God will do something great through them. And we may have come to believe like Zachariah and Elizabeth that that desire, that wanting in our souls is just too big. So we took it and we buried it down so deep, that wanting down so deep and out in our lives that we think it's completely out of reach. But I remind you, we worship a God who creates us and redeems us and sustains us and there is nothing outside his reach. Whatever we want, it is not too deep, it's not too big, it's not too far away for God to put his fingerprints all over it and to make something truly life-changing and transformative happen in and through it this season if we want it. Second, what are we anticipating? What are we watching for this Advent season? I propose to you that our eyes, our ears, our hearts, our minds, our souls must be attentive, and open, must be watching for the great thing God has in store for each and every one of us this Christmas. Now I use my Hallmark Christmas movies as something I watch to get through the holiday season. And we can laugh about it because we all have something we latch our attention to, something to distract us from the busyness of the season. But we've got to keep watching Keep watching for the out of the ordinary, amazing things God has in store. Zechariah wasn't watching for the angel. He wasn't watching for the miraculous thing God was doing because his focus was on the task at hand. We've got to be ready. We have to have our eyes peeled, our hearts opened, our ears listening, our souls ready to receive the miracle God has yet to work in our lives. We get caught up in the formulaic routines of getting everything done to make this Christmas good, we may miss out on the great things God has in store. We have to be watching for it. And lastly, got to ask ourselves, how are we waiting this Advent season? As we prepare ourselves to want and to watch, how will we wait? After Gabriel receives Zachariah's question, he responds with this, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, Zachariah, you will become mute, unable to speak until the day these things occur. Gabriel silences Zachariah. Let's be honest, there are many of us who think the worst punishment we could possibly receive is silence. Worst punishment we could possibly receive is a big shh from the messenger of God. But I don't think it's a punishment. I believe it's an opportunity. See, I think Gabriel is giving Zechariah and us a glimpse of how God wants us to wait, especially in seasons like Advent, seasons of great potential. God wants us to wait in stillness and in silence. God wants us to give him some waiting room, some room for him to work the miracle God has in store for us. As your pastor of care and support, it has been my great honor and my distinct privilege to spend quite a bit of time with many of you in a various number of waiting rooms, praying and holding on to hope as loved ones are in surgery or receiving much needed medical care.
Waiting rooms, in my experience, and probably in yours, are spaces filled with tension, anxiety, and worry, quiet struggles and weariness. But they are also spaces filled with hope. Waiting rooms are constructed and outfitted for the sole purpose of holding people while they pass the time waiting. And so is the season of Advent. It is constructed and outfitted for us to wait for the miracle of Christmas. As human beings go, we avoid any opportunity to experience waiting. Because let's be honest, in our push-button, gotta-have-it-now culture, we hate to wait. The irony of all this is that waiting does have its benefits. While waiting can be stressful and challenging, giving ourselves room to wait, giving God room to work can also be advantageous. The stillness and silence of waiting allows us to put our situations in perspective and hand them over to God. When we wait, we find the opportunity to slow down, to take a breath, begin to see all sides of our experience, to lift our prayers to God, to lean on each other for support, to find hope in whatever situation we may find ourselves in. The season of Advent is by its very definition a season of waiting, a season where we stand on the threshold of what was, what is, and what is yet to come. We anticipate the gift of the Christ child, knowing that Christ has already come, with the anticipation of what Christ will ultimately accomplish through his life, ministry, death, and resurrection. And how we wait makes all the difference. No matter how long we have to wait, the waiting will be worth it because the greatest act of love In that greatest act of love, God plunges himself into human flesh through the incarnation. And through Jesus, God shows us once and for all the lengths God will go to for his great love for us. This great act of love does not begin with a visit of an angel to a person named Zachariah or to a young virgin named Mary. This great act of love does not start with the foretelling of prophets or old, wise, holy men in the Old Testament. The greatest act of love, the first chapter of the Gospel of John reminds us, commences at the very beginning of all time and space with God, through whom all things come into being. What has come into being in him was life, and that life was the light to all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it, These words herald the dawn of great love because when God took on flesh to dwell among us in the birth of the Christ child, the world had already been waiting. This waiting had been going on through eons, through generations, through centuries. It had been going on since God took a breath and spoke creation into existence. 
And after all that waiting, the thrill of hope, Emmanuel, the long-expected Jesus, the inbreaking of God into humanity offers us a great light and a breathtaking glimpse into an eternal future, a future free from slavery to sin and death. And this, my friends, is worth wanting. This is worth watching for. This is worth the wait. Let us pray. God of us all, in your own time, in the mystery of your schedule, you unfold before us great things that we are not and honestly may not ever be truly prepared for. You know our deepest desires, those wants of our souls that go well beyond any wish list or prayer list, those gifts that cannot be wrapped up with paper and bows and placed under the tree, those wants that dwell deep inside of us that only you can make a reality. Open our souls to hand those wants over to you. Open our eyes and our ears to see and hear you working in and through our lives so that we don't miss a thing this Advent season. And gracious God, help us to wait. Calm our impatience, quiet our chaos and our storms so that when you work that miracle, we are ready to receive it for the life-changing opportunity it will be. This Advent season, help us to want more of you, to watch for your signs and wonders, to wait in eager anticipation for Christ once more to break into our lives and change our world forever. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss new releases. We'll have new podcasts coming out all the time. Be sure to check us out online at whiteschapelumc.com. Please download the WC Life app and follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things WC.